0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to United Teachers of Lowell's Straight Talk Podcast. This is Amy Bisson here with Mickey Dumont. We are the podcast twins, and we are the hosts of this weekly podcast produced by and for members of the United Teachers of Lowell. In our weekly podcast, you'll hear about local, state, and national issues that affect our members. You will also hear about some of the accomplishments of our members, and we will keep you up to date with news and decisions that impact all of us. Clearly, the success of Fund Our Future, which resulted in the Student Opportunity Act, relied on a coalition of partners, unions such as AFT Mass and MTA, organizations like Civil Rights Advocates and grassroots organizations like MAJA, LAJA, and Citizens for Public Schools. Today we are speaking with Lisa Geisbond, who is Citizens for Public Schools Executive Director and one of the strongest advocates and supporters of public schools in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. Whenever there is an opportunity to speak to the legislature about an issue involving recess, testing, funding, any issue supporting our students and our families, Lisa is there to speak in support. We've asked her to chat with us today on two important topics. How we all need to stay focused and involved in ensuring the Student Opportunity Act funding actually gets into our public schools, and an upcoming event Citizens for Public Schools will host at the end of February, but we'll let Lisa tell you all about that. Welcome, Lisa. This is Amy and Mickey, and we're here to talk with Lisa Geisbahn today. Uh, Lisa, you're the executive director of Citizens for Public Schools. Can you tell us a little bit about Citizens for Public Schools, like how it got started and what your mission is?
1: Sure. love to it got started in 1982 as a coalition of education civil liberties um, social justice and religious groups came together to fight a ballot initiative that would have changed the massachusetts state constitution to allow public funds to go to private and religious schools oh dear (laughs) so um that issue, they—they they actually the alliance or the coalition was successful in defeating that,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and it actually came up again several times over, and they were successful in defeating it each time. Um, and but over time, the organization has evolved from that original coalition to being a membership organization. And um, we remain concerned and focused on the issue of school funding, public school funding,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: adequate and equitable school funding. Uh, And over time, we merged with another state organization called CARE, the Coalition for Authentic Reform in Education. And that was a grassroots organization that came together to fight, try to keep the state from imposing... High stakes standardized testing. Um, The MCAS standardized exam came along with education reform in 1993. And um, before 2003, we didn't have, didn't use the MCAS as a high school graduation exam. So that was a coalition of um, grassroots groups around the state that was trying to keep the state. From imposing that policy.
2: How long has that been, Lisa, where uh, sure it's been a requirement at the high school level?
1: Well, t- the class of 2003 was the first oh. high school class that had to pass the MCAS mm-hmm. to graduate from high school. So, uh, So CPS, as I said, started as a coalition focused on keeping public funds in public schools. So we're still Concerned about that, that's still one of our main issues. And then along the way, we merged with CARE and folded in concerns about assessment, you know, advocating for uh, beneficial assessment of student learning and school quality and against the overuse and misuse of standardized testing. And then our third issue is uh, concerns about privatization of public education. Um
0: So these things are ongoing and have been going on a long time, and we're very fortunate to have uh, groups like Citizens for Public Schools collaborating and aligning with all, all of us across the Commonwealth who share the same concerns
1: right yeah. right yeah. yeah, so so as I said, we have sort of those three main issues that we focus on funding, privatization, and testing-. Mm-hmm and our overall mission we describe as promoting preserving and protecting public education so we're a public education advocacy organization a membership-based organization started as a coalition uh, evolved into a membership group and now once again we're part of a a larger coalition the massachusetts education justice alliance and the fund our future coalition um, which have worked against well successfully defeated the ballot question in 2016 that would have lifted the cap on charter schools and then just successfully got the student opportunity act passed
0: and while that's a huge victory we have to keep our eye on the prize here all the time don't we Um, oh
1: yeah all (laughs) these issues you know it's it's (laughs) you have to remain vigilant for you public do. education, That's um, because it is so critically important to our democracy. And there just these these attacks on public education just keep rearing their heads. They do. Um, and <laughs> they just don't give up
0: very no, easily. They never
1: give up. So we can't ever give up. And exactly. um, <laughs> it's nice that we have these really major historic victories under our belt, especially passing the Student Opportunity Act. And I know we're going to talk more about that. We are. uh, Because
0: I noticed uh, recently that Citizens for Public School had put out a really terrific uh, two-page handout that summarizes that. So I want to talk a little bit about that with you. Um, First of all, the brilliant idea because it really boils things down in layman's terms for everybody to see, and uh, the, I guess our first question for the for the uninitiated: What does the Student Opportunity Act provide for our public
1: schools, or in theory, what should it provide? <laughs> okay, well, it uh, update. It was passed at the end of 2019 to update the state's public school funding formula, mm-hmm. which hasn't, hadn't been updated since it was established in, with the 1993 education reform act. So decades have gone by. And meanwhile, uh, all of the assumptions that were part of the original formula have sort of changed. Circumstances have changed and the costs of things like providing health care to, um, Teaching staff and cost of special education and the cost to educate English language learners and low-income students—all of those things, those costs have just zoomed up. Just like you know, everybody's Everybody. costs have exactly. <laughs> gone up since then. Uh, so uh, there have been efforts for years, really, to get the state to first look into um, what whether the formula was still adequate and what has changed and how to fix it. And so in 2015, there was a bipartisan state commission called the foundation budget review commission. They had hearings all around the state and they had um, all kinds of legislators and other experts on the commission. And they came up with a report with recommendations to, um, about how to update the formula, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: including um, updating the cost of educating low-income students, the cost for educating special education and English learners, uh, and health insurance, and providing guidance and psychological services. So it came out with a report with a series of recommendations, and that really formed the basis for the Student Opportunity Act you know, that and our coalition, the Fund Our Future Coalition, really brought together all kinds of grassroots stakeholders, educators, and parents and students to um, advocate and lobby at the State House to make sure that a bill was written and passed that really addressed all of these really critical issues. Um, to update the funding and make sure that there was some equity because what what happened over the years is, as I said, the cost of everything went up and the more wealthy districts were able to kind of add in extra money Mm -hmm. to pay for basic needs or quality services and um, staffing and things. But the lower income communities just were falling far behind. Just in yeah, so, they just didn't have what they needed. So,
2: Lisa, at, at the time of that report, was there mention in the report as to exactly how much money public schools had been underfunded up to that point?
1: Yes, there was.
2: Um, was,
1: I it, I it was it one? It said, yeah, it was like somewhere between one billion and two billion dollars yeah. a year. Yeah. Okay. The,
0: That's astounding, isn't
1: it? It is astounding. It is astounding. And so fortunately, uh, thanks to the work of all people like you and me and all the people in the um, coalition, uh, the Student Opportunity Act will phase in additional state funding so that after seven years, there will be $1.5 billion a year more. Additional funding with most of it focused on the districts that need the most, you know That have the the biggest population of low-income right. students English language learners special ed, right? Et
0: so we took like 10 minutes to celebrate and then realized oh my goodness There's a whole bunch of things that our school districts must do in order to uh i don't know if it's a requirement to receive the money but there are some things that districts need to be doing correct
1: correct so all districts have to develop a three-year spending plan and submit it to the state department of elementary and secondary education by i think midnight on april 1st oh
0: my goodness that's coming up so quickly <laughs> and coming up-
1: Soon, yes. Yes.
0: And, um, the other interesting thing about this report is it's not just done by the superintendent, is it?
1: No, it um, it's done by the superintendent in consultation with local school committees. But it also, there's language in the law itself that requires superintendents to ask for and listen to um, public input. Yes, parents, teachers, and students in districts. Uh, So, you know, that was something that, that we wanted to see, that language that we wanted to see in the law, and we were happy that it got in there. And now it's sort of up to us and other members of the coalition to educate, you know, make sure as many people as possible know that this is part of the law and that this is their opportunity to, um, you know, call their school committee members, go to public hearings and meetings, and get their voices into the process to make sure that the money goes to things that are really needed in the classroom. So on the
0: on the two-pager, um, which we will add to our website for people who are listening, and we'll direct you over to Citizens for Public Schools so you can see it in person, um, you had some suggestions for how to add your voice as a parent or a community member. Um, you want to talk about those for a second?
1: Yeah, so um, we suggest that people contact their local school committee members as a group or individually and or you know there are public meetings being scheduled because that's required so find out uh, when those are going to be and try to be there for them Mm -hmm. Uh, we suggest submitting your own suggestions in writing if possible about how you think the school committee should use the new funding to improve schools, you know, things like smaller class size, which of course requires hiring more staff, um, expanding early childhood, full-day kindergarten, hiring more counselors, nurses, librarians. You know, if if you're a district that has lost things like art and music and phys ed and recess, um, put that in there. You know, it's not to say that, all of this or any of this is gonna happen, but it's just right. We need to take advantage of these opportunities when we have them to, you know, make our voices part of the conversation and try to steer things away from things that money could be spent on that might not you know, that aren't gonna be that helpful to students, like more bureaucracy, more accountability. <laughs> like more tests more and testing, more
2: testing. <laughs> yeah absolutely lisa i yeah. like the suggestion on on your um, page that people who have suggestions to make to the superintendent that they also cc those suggestions or send those suggestions to the school committee members as well
1: right yep because they're your well for the all those places that have elected school committees <laughs> they're your your democratic representatives Um, So they, you know, they have to listen to you because you're their constituents. We're
0: we're their boss.
1: Yeah. (laughs) yeah, They're public servants. They serve us. (laughs) That's terrific.
0: So you've given us some great tips and some great background on the Student Opportunity Act. We know Citizens for Public Schools has a terrific opportunity coming up at the end of February. You want to talk a a little bit about that?
1: Yes, thank you. I'm so excited that um, we invited and uh, Diane Ravitch accepted our invitation to come and speak on Wednesday, February 26th at First Parish Church in Cambridge. It's right in Harvard Square in Cambridge. And she is an education historian, author, and uh, uh, just a wonderful public education advocate. She's written a number of excellent books. Her new book is called Slaying Goliath, The Passionate Resistance to Privatization and the Fight to Save America's Public Schools. How timely, yeah. Very timely and, not finished yet, but I started reading it it's, as all her books. It's really well written and inspiring. And um, one cool thing is that she highlights and celebrates uh, some of the grassroots victories that have happened around the country in the past few years. And one of which is our very own victory in 2016 with uh, um, you know, the eating question two that would have lifted yep. the cap on charter schools in Massachusetts. So that's you know, one of her inspirational <laughs> stories. And um, when I invited her to come speak, she said, sure, but I, I'd love for you to have uh, also invite Barbara Madaloni, the former president of the Massachusetts Teachers Association mm-hmm. and UMass Boston political science professor and blogger Maurice Cunningham uh, because both of them played really significant roles in, in the defeat of question two. And they both were very excited to be invited and said that they would come too. That's terrific. So uh, we
0: want everybody to put that date on their calendar. Again, it is February 26th, 26, 26. 7 p.m. p.m. It's the First Parish Church right in Harvard Square. Is that on the corner of Church Street?
1: Yeah. 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 The address is 3 Church Street. Yeah. You can't but, um, miss it. If you
0: go into Harvard Square, you just absolutely can't miss it.
1: Right, right. And uh, on our website, citizensforpublicschools.org, um, there's a post with a link to where you can get tickets. Terrific. Um, the tickets are $12, and we have the half price for students. Great. Uh, yeah, so it's we're, the tickets are going well so far, and we'll have – books for sale and oh, I think Diane will be signing them and talking to people uh, but it it holds pretty it's a pretty big capacity so there's there's still tickets available yeah now,
2: now Lisa um, Diane Ravitch was not always uh, anti-testing
1: correct yes it's one of the fascinating things about her especially and I am fascinated by that yeah especially now when it seems like so many people and politicians just are stuck on one side or the other and nothing you can say will convince anyone to change their mind. She's an interesting example of a person who used to really buy into and support things like high-stakes testing, charter schools, all this top-down accountability stuff that was supposed to lift up Low-performing students in schools and close gaps in achievement.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, she is someone who is, can look at what's happening and reassess her original opinions if what's yeah. happening doesn't support the policy. And she just looked at the evidence and realized that these things were not doing what what they promised. Right. That achievement gaps weren't closing, and. Charter schools weren't really helping uh, yeah. low-income black and brown children succeed. And, you know, nothing, nothing was turning out the way it was promised. And right. in fact, right. quite to the contrary, uh, it was, these you things know, were very a, what damaging. A great,
0: what a great story, but also good for her for recognizing yeah. the data didn't support right.
1: what the policy was. And, um, yeah, so she, in the book, she, you know, sometimes the language that we use to talk about this stuff is very important. And there has been a tendency to call the people who've been pushing these, these policies, uh, call them education reformers, right? Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, And that sounds kind of positive, like, oh, reforming, you're, you're going to improve, you're going to change things to make them better. So she says that she's not going to call them reformers. She calls them disruptors.
0: Oh, great. And, Very fitting. Uh,
1: yeah. Very she great. says, you know, disruption is actually not a positive thing for children if you want to help them learn. You know, disrupting them by getting rid of their teachers if the scores don't get up or closing their schools and Those turning them charter schools. And, you know, all this disruption is not... A good environment. Not. Well,
0: and then she, Lisa. It's been terrific talking to you. I know we've seen you from time to time at the state house. Um, I'm sure we'll continue to see you, and we are looking forward to the event with Diane Ravitch and Barbara Madaloni and Maurice Cunningham on the 26th, and uh, we'll see you there. Okay. Thank you so much.
2: Thank, Thank you, you Lisa. very much, Lisa.
0: Thanks to CPS Executive Director Lisa Geisbond for speaking with us today. Again, if you are interested in joining Citizens for Public Schools, you can find more information about the group and their advocacy on their website, citizensforpublicschools.org, or you can find them on Facebook as well. The CPS Facebook page has the details for reserving your seat for the February 26th book event with Diane Ravitch, Barbara Madaloni, and Maurice Cunningham. We once again thank you for tuning into this episode. We hope that if you enjoy what you hear, you will subscribe to our podcast using Apple iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast aggregator. As always, we welcome your general comments and feedback. If you have suggestions, for future podcast topics or if you are aware of UTL members who might be willing to share their experiences and expertise, please send us an email at utlstraighttalk@gmail.com. Until next time, this is Amy Bisson along with Mickey Dumont wishing you a great week.